Thanks for coming along and braving bits of the weather. Um, I also can tell you that uh, Vasilis, who's going to be speaking, has come all the way from Barcelona. Otherwise, I came from the snow in Warwick today, so I have been almost as well. Um, one quick bit of um, uh, news for next time. Next seminar date is the 25th of February and it is Nicholas Argentini on crisis and famine in island Greece. Sovereign debt, political violence and topologies of memory in chaos. Um, so we will actually have given um, uh, the best of we will have another regional dimension. It's a great pleasure for me, and it really is, to actually be able to um, introduce um, Vasilis uh, today. Of course, most of you know him, and uh, most of you know him from being upstairs in the European Institute and the Hellenic Observatory. I first met him, I think, in the beginning of the 2000s when I was in the Industrial Relations Department. You must have been just about finishing your PhD at that time. He had more hair, but so did I. Probably. <laughs> um, subsequently to that, he has been a little bit around, not terribly far in the sense that he stayed in the southeast of England, but I didn't know, which I didn't know, that he spent a while at the University of Reading, which is where I once grew up and my father used to teach. Um, he's, um, well, he calls himself an economic geographer, but an economic geographer can be both and everything, which is um, a thing which I approve of, since uh, multidisciplinarity is a great advantage. So, um, He's going to be speaking about Greek labour markets, uh, work, crisis and adjustment across the Greek um, regions and um, standard procedure of approximately 45 minutes. I should say that he is limited. I'm going to allow him to have four jokes. He allowed me to have three the other week, but he can have four. But the condition of this is the 45 minutes and we shall see how many... Slides, you can use it. Yes. <laughs> <You are>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Bernard. Uh, thanks, everybody, for making the effort to come. Um, I have to say that I'm, I'm very happy to be presenting here. I've been uh, co-organizing or responsible in organizing the seminars for many, many years now, and I gave my first seminar in this series back in 2004. Uh, so it's almost 10 years. Um, um, and I hope my research have moved on a bit uh, uh, since then. So I'm going to talk about the, the crisis and adjustment in the Greek labor market. Uh, and I have to confess the title is uh, uh, crafted in a way to attract uh, uh, more people in the audience, and I think <laughs> uh, reasonably successfully. So uh, this is not, let me sort of the introductory things, this is not a research paper, rather it's a collection links um, from another paper, a number of papers I've been working on recently, a couple of papers with uh, Rebecca Christopoulou, a uh, former uh, fellow here at the Hellenic Observatory, um, some work I'm doing with Fangelo Martelli, who's uh, sitting in the second uh, row, uh, and some other papers all on, on a very similar thing that are uh, finding their way into submissions, uh, publications, and, and so forth, but also some work in uh, in progress. So uh, I decided not to present the paper partly because there's, uh, <coughs> if you want, the difficulty with uh, um, presenting the methodology and insisting on that rather than on the 
on, on understanding the labor market. Uh, so I'm going to cover a number of, uh, of things. So the, the, the premise is that we have to look at different aspects of the labor market and understand, in order to understand, you know, to get a, an insight about the workings of the Greek labor market, the types of adjustment. I'm going to tell you a couple of things, more or less theoretical things in the beginning. Um, and then I'm going to look at the aggregate picture and kind of describe how the Greek labor market was affected with the crisis. And then the main bulk of the analysis, which comes also from the papers above, uh, which is using micro data, micro econometric techniques uh, in order to derive uh, some information about the, the working of the labor market. I, I don't actually have policy lessons, but uh, we can talk about them in the remaining 45 minutes if I manage. Uh, to keep my presentation to 45 minutes. Um, so let me start with this uh, preliminary uh, things touching upon theory, not really theory. And I have to say, I wear many academic hats. Some, one of them is uh, kind of labor economics, one is economic geographer, so this uh, in a way combines this, uh, uh, these two. Uh, a labor market works uh, if it is able to fend off a shock, so not to be affected by a, a shock, so if it has resilience, it works if it is able to adjust and probably adjust speedily, quickly uh, uh, to a shock, uh, and by that token also to recover uh, quickly, to get out of, of the shock quickly. It is important to note that this doesn't mean that the labor market will not be affected. We will have bad outcomes, but they will be more temporary than otherwise. So one of the good things, one of the ways to adjust in a labor market from a labor economics perspective is through unemployment. So we associate unemployment with bad outcomes, but it is an adjustment uh, mechanism. Uh, so we have to look at that as well in that uh, perspective. So once you have a shock into an economy like the, the, the Greek economy, a resilient economy would be, uh, would somehow mediate the, the shock, it would not be affected as uh, strongly, a non-resilient economy, perhaps one that doesn't have many, uh, which is not diversified sufficiently, uh, will have the shock transmitted uh, more. And the adjustment, exactly the point is that adjustment is not that you don't have unemployment or that you don't have a, a reduction in wages. Adjustment is that the, the effect of the shock is not devastating. So wages adjust, employment adjusts in a way that facilitates the, the, the next step, which is uh, uh, recovery and how well the labor market works uh, very much depends on how uh, on, on that depends how uh, how transitory the shock would be how easily or speedily you can get out of the uh, of the crisis now again um, theoretical considerations if you want or some uh, textbook theory uh, I don't want to insist too much on that I, I, I just want to, to focus on the first column and say that there's different mechanisms different areas of adjustment one is unemployment and as we go down uh, the list, I think we get to better forms of, of adjustment. So a not very well-functioning labor market would adjust to a shock by increasing unemployment. People lose their jobs, demand collapses, and, and uh, the effect is employment loss. Wages is, a, in, in some respect, a better mechanism for adjustment because it keeps people into employment, so it doesn't have this kind of uh, uh, detachment of, of the labor force from uh, of the workforce from, from employment, and it allows also some sort of reallocation of, of, of labor to 
high-paid jobs to, to more resilient sectors that, that survive the, the, the crisis. Further down is adjusting in hours, so you don't set labor, but you reduce the intake, the intensity of use of, of, of labor. This is if you want the adjustment that we saw to some extent in the UK and in Germany, where you move to three hour, uh, three day week, exactly in order not to alienate, not to not to remove labor from the working process, and to be able to to recover the labor intake once the economy starts uh, going up. You don't have to re-advertise the post and, and to you know find the appropriate uh, workers. You just increase the hours that you reduced uh, initially. So this allows faster uh, recovery, and of course mobility is a part of of adjustment. There is a crisis, but it doesn't affect similarly all parts of the economy, geographically, sectorally, or otherwise. And, and the way the labor is able to move from one sector to another, or from one region to another, uh, plays a big role on, on uh, mediating the, the, the shock, or the, the, effect, the, the size of the crisis. Okay, so let me then go to, uh, to a brief description of what happened in the Greek labor market. And of course, we all know these uh, things. I cunningly put on the on the <coughs> heading of the of the slide the, what we know. I think I'm going to come back to that. So the crisis in Greece didn't come from the banking sector. It came from the public finances, which led immediately to public sector uh, cuts. Uh, public sector cuts mainly in wages, but perhaps a bit also on unemployment. This had a, a direct demand effect. Uh, so incomes went down. Incomes generated in the public sector went. Uh, down, uh, but also it had a possible effect on reallocating labor because wages in the public sector went down. Theory goes the public sector will become less attractive, so some labor will be released to go to the private sector, and perhaps the private sector will pick up and drive the economy out of the crisis. However, because of the also the political destabilization, what happened is that the, the, the public sector cuts transmitted a very big shock to the private sector. And this affected both, if you want, the demand and the supply side. So on the supply side, what happened was because of, the, of all the discussion about the Brexit and, and the instability in the country, including political instability, we had a, a liquidity shock that was transmitted to the banking uh, system. And this stopped lending to the private sector, investment went down, also private investment, not only public investment, which was being cut anyway. And on the demand side, of course, people experienced very high increases in taxes, uh, a reduction in their disposable income, so obviously consumption went down, this affected again the private sector. On top of that came, uh, perhaps a bit later, a wave of labor market deregulation in the private sector. <coughs> which was very much, I mean, you can be very critical to it and say that this was typical Washington consensus, uh, marketized, liberalized, uh, coming from the Troika and the IMF. Uh, the advice to, you know, liberalize uh, occupational licensing, employment regulation, wage decentralization, we had a, a reduction in the minimum wage. But the logic there was exactly to, to change the relative prices in a way that will allow the private sector to do what the public sector used to do until uh, the crisis. Um, now, all these things didn't happen very um, uh, either instantaneously or, or they, weren't, they weren't well implemented. There are a number of reviews. I, I have highlighted some here and I can give you reference if, if you want to. Um, so it was a multiple shock and affected both the public and the private sector in a continuum, if you want. Uh, so let's see what 
we know then about the aggregate adjustment in, in, in the country. I'm going to show you something again, I repeat that I say what we know, but it's not necessarily that we actually know, and I'll come back to that with a quote. Um, here I just show the, the evolution of wages, nominal wages, uh, average nominal wages across the Greek regions. You can see, uh, you don't have to, to match the colors with the, uh, with the regions, but you can see that wages moved more or less similarly across uh, the different regions of, of the country. They were going up quite fast. Of course, this is a nominal term, so it, it, is, uh, it incorporates inflation uh, as well. The interesting thing to see is that wages did not fall immediately with the crisis in 2009 and 2010. Rather, they stabilized, and they only fell after 2011 significantly. This picture is also masked a bit by the fact that we we lost, in the beginning of the crisis, we lost low-wage employment. So there's a statistical effect to increase wages because the surviving uh, people bring the average up. But what we see is that although labor costs, in terms of measuring the average labor cost in, in you know, so comparing, taking into account the cuts, although labor costs fell, wages in the country did not immediately adjust, at, at least to the extent that we were expecting or hoping, uh, depending. Uh, the green line here shows unemployment rate, um, and this is an unweighted average, so it underestimates unemployment uh, increase. But we can definitely see the story that unemployment after the Olympics, after 2004, was declining, slowly but declining. Um, I, I sort of mentioned that to Paul de Grau, a colleague here who is uh, working on the, on the Euro crisis, that's... Uh, you know, the fragility of the banking union, of the monetary union, the lack of banking union didn't seem to have increased uh, between 2004-2008 when unemployment was declining and the economy was growing by 4%. Uh, so maybe there's other explanations to the crisis. Uh, no matter what these explanations, after 2009, we have a very fast increase in unemployment, as you all know. Uh, what we know a bit less is the blue and the, and the red lines. Uh, the red line shows the... Uh, rate of self-employment, which also increased with the crisis. Again, there's a bit of a statistical effect here because total employment goes down, the self-employed remain, but they don't actually work. You know, they just have the, uh, they maintain the occupation, but they don't, they're not employed. Anyway, but we have actually also in numbers an increase in self-employment. And quite interestingly, after 2010, whereas in the beginning of the crisis we have an increase in activity, the blue line, after 2010, we have something which looks very much like a discouragement effect. So people leave the labor market on top of the people that become uh, unemployed. There is a bit here of people retiring, uh, early retirements, uh, but there's also people in younger ages who leave the labor market because they cannot, there's no point in looking for a job. Um, now, this picture shows uh, unemployment rates across a range of, of measures. So the... Let me stand. So this line is total unemployment, which in 2012 was just below 25%. Uh, but you can see also uh, mature unemployment, 55 to 65, uh, 64 year, year olds. Uh, you see the um, graduate unemployment, people with a university degree, uh, female unemployment, I think, yes, and the red line youth unemployment. You can see they all move together. They all follow the same uh, uh, path. So unemployment... So the crisis affected employment probabilities of everybody, more or less in a similar manner. I think this is also interesting to, to show. This is on a different scale, so youth unemployment. 
But you can see that the increase is comparable with every, everything else. So again, the idea that we, we talk about youth unemployment exploding and becoming a separate problem, it is not so much the case, and I'll show you some, some uh, results uh, later on. Uh, youth unemployment is very high, but it is very high because, because unemployment is high. Uh, if you want the, the ratio of total unemployment, youth unemployment hasn't changed uh, much. Another thing uh, in, so for regional economists, this is a big thing, uh, the comparison between Athens and the rest of the, of the country. Uh, a lot has been said about how devastating the, the crisis has been for Athens and uh, the periphery managed to maintain jobs because everybody works in their family business or, or whatever. And you can see the total unemployment, actually the increase, has been very similar uh, in Athens and, and across the um, rest of Greece. And this is also for a number of measures that I won't take you through the different lines. <coughs> And here again, we can see the 13 regions of Greece, again for four measures, youth unemployment, mature unemployment, female and graduate unemployment. You can see that more or less the pattern is the same across all regions, although here we can start seeing some, some differences. The one that I kind of like best uh, to talk about is, is this one. Uh, it shows that, so this is, I think this is Ionian, yes, and this is South Aegean. You can see that although there's a, a general rise in graduate unemployment uh, in all regions, somehow the, the, the touristic islands stray to a different direction and they manage to maintain low graduate unemployment. The, the big contrast here is, is uh, the region of the origin of my parents, uh, Western Macedonia, where graduate unemployment is really uh, uh, skyrocketing. I don't actually know, but it may have uh, something to do with uh, the collapse of public sector employment in the region, which was a big employer and uh, employed disproportionately uh, more educated uh, workforce. Anyway, so the point is that we have a similar pattern also across regions, uh, but actually if you look at more detail, you can see that there is, uh, uh, th there is some variation. Again, you can see the two islands, the, the whatever that is, uh, orange uh, lines, uh, having less unemployment relative to the country and some other parts uh, sort of diverging in the other direction. Another way to present it, and I was asked to put some maps in the presentation, so I anticipated the request, um, <clears throat> is to look at what happens sort of visually across uh, uh, space. I think this is a very interesting picture. So, unemployment at the point of entry to the adoption of, of, of the euro. Uh, what we have is basically, this is, I mean, you know, it's almost funny to, to talk about an industrial complex in Greece. Yeah, but this is Attica, all of industry of Attica because of the, of the regional aid uh, uh, development uh, um, acts uh, is concentrated actually in Biotia. So this is the industrial complex of, of Greece. Volos used to have, and for that effect also uh, Thessaly, uh, some industry. And then, of course, Western Macedonia was basically the energy production uh, in the country. Uh, and unemployment was higher there, but the picture changed a lot. By the time when we had the Olympics, if you could see a pattern, you would talk about a kind of north-south uh, uh, divide. Low unemployment in the south, high unemployment in the north. And this developed into an arc of unemployment by 2008. This is the year where we reached the lowest unemployment rate since Andreas Papandreou. Since the early days of the uh, and you can see, especially Athens has very, very low unemployment. 
uh, rates. Um, and then something happened, the crisis, and what we see is a, a completely a different picture. Unemployment rises, and it rises mainly around Athens, in Thessaloniki, and in Western Macedonia. It becomes highest. And somehow the South Peloponnese, South Aegean, uh, and uh, also Crete, uh, uh, they, they manage to, to weather, if you want, the crisis and the, and the rise in, in unemployment. I've talked enough now about unemployment, so let me then move to, to the question of inactivity. Actually, I want to skip that and go to, the, uh, to another question that has, has been suggested in the media. This kind of, I think it's a myth, of, of people, talented, gifted Athenians moving back to their villages to start businesses and uh, mobilize the, uh, the economy. Uh, so, uh, I mean, maybe it's true, I've read at least seven such cases in, in the news, uh, maybe there's more, maybe that exhausts the whole population of people that moved up. Uh, in the data, uh, in the Labour for survey, we cannot see that. Uh, the red line is the people that move out from Athens uh, over the years uh, in relation to the workforce in, in Athens. And what you can see is from 2009, there's a decline of people moving out from Athens. So. I don't know if uh, so maybe the, you know, the ones that move out are the gifted, uh, uh, talented Athenians. But then if we look at the educational levels of, the, of those that move out, this is the, this is the red line uh, here. So this is the total educational level of the Athenian workforce uh, as we move along uh, over, over the years. And all the other lines are expressed as a ratio to the, to the average education level uh, uh, in Athens, of the workforce in Athens. And what you can see again is that from 2009 onwards, uh, the, this uh, decline. So the, the outmove, the people that move out from Athens to the other regions uh, in the country become less and less educated. So if, you know, if there is an out-migration from Athens, it is of the less educated, the more the less tradable, if you want, the ones that, that cannot get a job in Athens. Um, so the data do not support this idea of, of this kind of, of, of talent. It's out-migration out of, uh, of Athens. Um, a boring table, but this kind of summarizes a lot uh, what we think, what we know about the, the, um, the situation in Greece, uh, also in relation to the crisis. So a few po uh, things to, to, to highlight uh, here. The first row gives us the nominal wages in euros uh, from the labor for survey data uh, in the public sector and the private sector. You may remember that in the beginning of 2010 we had public sector cuts and then in the summer of 2010 and then in the winter and uh, time and again. But wages kept going up. Uh, there is a kind of statistical effect because we lost a lot of temporary employees uh, who were lower paid in the public sector. But there's a lot of uh, pay progression that, 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 that took place. So you had a 10% cut and you became and you got a promotion to compensate for, for that. So wages did not adjust as fast as we thought or wanted. In contrast, in the, pub, in the private sector, wages started adjusting faster and they declined more than in the uh, public sector. And they are lower than in the public sector. So the public sector maintains this. Uh, advantage. Another thing to note is how much more uh, higher education levels are in the public sector than in the private sector. This is 
quite unusual compared to, to other countries. The public sector had the education requirements but managed to attract the, the most educated uh, uh, part of the workforce. It is possible that this actually deprived the private sector from, from a supply of educated labor that could then generate, uh, sort of, you know, create labor demand, uh, uh, good jobs. And we see that the, the increase, uh, so education levels increased in both sectors because it was the less educated that lost their jobs, uh, but they increased, but they remained very high and you know, significantly higher in the public sector than the private sector. So the, the effect of the public sector uh, remains. Another thing to note is with part-time uh, work. Part-time work in Greece was very low, uh, traditionally, compared to other uh, countries. But the private sector, not the public sector, but the private sector adjusted a lot. So from 3% in the private sector, it went up to 9% uh, part-time employment. So there is this kind of adjustment, perhaps in ours, uh, uh, in the private sector, which is, a, if you want, a, a positive thing. The last thing to note here is that the big shift away from industry. In employment in industry in, in the private sector went down in the space of five years from 47% to 33%. So we have obviously huge job losses, including the construction sector, which is included in industry here. I want also to say that compared to Spain, and this comes from a paper I did with a couple of colleagues from Spain, uh, Educational levels in Greece are higher than in Spain, so if anything, we don't have a, a, a kind of educated level supply problem. Perhaps we have a, a problem of supply of skills because education does not always necessarily imply, uh, you know, marketable uh, skills. But also, it is possible that you know we, the problem is not the supply of skills, but the demand for for skills that we don't have. <coughs> high-quality jobs to attract, to, to absorb the uh, uh, educated workforce. But the fact of the matter is that the workforce is more educated than in other countries uh, in the European South, uh, at least. So these are data for females. I will skip them. Uh, maybe the last thing to note before I go to the econometrics is uh, the difference between the public and the private sector. Uh, this comes from a paper I published with Rebecca Christopoulou um, last year, I think this is a very interesting picture. It shows the wage distribution uh, for males in the private sector, females in the private sector, males in the private sector, females in the public sector, and males in the public sector. If I'm not wrong, and it is a, a fantastic ranking. You know, <laughs> so uh, as you move along, it, it becomes better and better. Yes. Yeah? So if you're a, a female in the um, in the private sector, you have a, a, a bit of a problem. You're extremely more likely to have lower wages uh, per hour. Uh, and it's interesting that the distance between public, uh, sorry, private and public for females is reduced for, for, for males. So uh, the, the private sector before the crisis sorted females uh, against males, so they rewarded males more, and the public sector did uh, the same, so it was a, a clear ranking. Now, if, if, you, if, you, if you think that uh, sort of labor is a marketable uh, good that, that commands a price in the labor market, and stuff, this is not correct. You know, this kind of sorting shouldn't, shouldn't be happening in this way. So the, the labor market seems not to, not to be working very well. So let me 
uh, sort of pause and, and do a bit of stock taking. Um, this is my first talk. Rumsfeld, uh, among the many nice things he did, uh, he contributed uh, <laughs> um, some sort of uh, knowledge, a better understanding to the uh, to what we know. Um, so basically, all these things that I showed you are things that you can get from the from from published sources. There's no um, analysis the way an economist would define it. Um, and, and maybe we, we think, or we should know these things, but I don't think we actually uh, know the th these things in, in the detail uh, th that we should. Um, so what is the things we, we know, we should know? Wages declined, but they declined quite slowly in the public sector, much faster in the private sector, and faster for females than for, uh, for males. Females seem, seem to have been more affected in that respect. Unemployment rose, obviously, those by a lot, dramatically, uh, rather uniformly, although we can see uh, differences in, in, in some um, dimensions. There was a huge rise in, in part-time employment in the private sector. Adjusting in house was much more uh, subdued, smaller, uh, and there was little increase in temporary employment or from other data also on other forms of flexible employment. So the adjustment was not of the type that that we saw in Germany, for example. Mobility, inactivity rose, partly discouraged uh, worker effects, but regional mobility didn't. We have sectoral uh, reallocation to some extent, but we don't have this mobility across regions uh, that one would have hoped that would reallocate labor, uh, labor to the pockets, the geographical pockets where demand survived. Okay, people stayed put in the areas that didn't go back to the villages uh, in, in large numbers. Um, and the regional evolutions are, uh, as I mentioned earlier, also broadly uh, similar. The last point to note is that education is not a problem. Maybe we have a skills problem, but definitely we don't have an, uh, an under-education uh, uh, problem. Okay, so the rest of my presentation, I think I still have half an hour, no, uh, <laughs> 15 minutes, um, is going to look a bit closer, trying to separate basically the shock, you know, how much the economy was affected with the adjustments and the final outcome. Okay, so what we saw so far is that unemployment increased. But did unemployment increase because the shock was so big or because we didn't adjust uh, to the shock sufficiently? So I'll try to do that. Uh, how? This is the most difficult slide I have in, <laughs> in the presentation. So... <coughs> The second joke comes. Uh, when I was a student, I really enjoyed when, when our teachers were, were telling us about hedonic uh, equations. I found it uh, uh, fascinating that an economist can do something <laughs> hedonic. Um, hedonic equations basically take the a value, the value of a good, labor or employment, and they try to, to find the price that the different characteristics of this good uh, command, yeah, the price of the, you know, the associated price to this characteristic. The example, I think, the, the textbook example uh, is with a, an apple. So you buy an apple not only because of its nutrition, nutrition value, uh, but also because of how red it is, how symmetric it is. Uh, you know, you would pay less for, a, for a, an apple that is, you know, looking not so nice than, than, uh, uh, than otherwise. So, so different, different attributes within a good 
contribute to the overall price of, of that good. Yeah, and we call this shadow prices, you know, because they're not observed. So this is a methodology which is applied very widely in, in, in labor economics. The first equation is an unemployment equation. So we say, if you're unemployed, you star, uh, is a function of your education, your gender, other characteristics, and then we can we collect many individuals, we run a, a, a regression, and we find the elasticity, the, the beta coefficients that give us essentially the price of this characteristic, uh, you know, how it transforms this characteristic into unemployment. The same in the second equation with wages. So your hourly wage uh, is a function, again, of your education and other characteristics. This tau, uh, tough uh, coefficient here would give you uh, the, the price of education, you know, how much wage uh, does one year of education uh, give you. Um, of course, it's an equilibrium analysis. It assumes that people are uh, hired uh, based on, on the characteristics and not based on uh, familial uh, networks or whatever else, but uh, uh, to some extent we can assume that on average this, this applies. Now, this is the standard methodology, and then there's a, a wave of literature, uh, a technique that has been developed which is called a decomposition analysis. It starts in the 70s, but it is much more uh, widely used more recently. Here the, the idea is that we can take two outcomes, uh, in, in outco one outcome in two different groups, say the north and the south, so we have unemployment in the north and unemployment in the south, yeah, so A and B, and we can decompose it using this regression uh, into two different components. One component is due, is so the difference in unemployment between the north and the south, which is due to differences in characteristics. X is your education, your gender, and things like that. Yeah? So we use one price, one beta coefficient, and we take the component which is the difference in characteristics. So unemployment between Athens and the rest of Greece is partly due to the different composition of the workforce, endowments, called uh, in the literature, and the second component is the difference in prices. So we take, a fixed, we take a fixed set of characteristics and we multiply that by the differences in the coefficients that we find in Athens and in the rest of Greece. This is the endowment component and this is the price component. This essentially, the endowment component would give us <coughs> a skill mix problem. So if unemployment is higher in Athens due to the first component, it would be because it doesn't have good quality labor, basically, um, or the other way around. The second component, the price effect, uh, essentially gives us something about the matching efficiency, you know, how well characteristics exist and characteristics are evaluated. Yeah? What is, the, you know, what is the, the relative price in the two regions of the same uh, characteristic, the demand for available skills. Now, we can do it also, we can do the same decomposition for the region, for being Athens and for being the rest of Greece. And the difference in that would give us essentially a difference in the demand conditions, the effective demand in its, uh, uh, of the two regions. And I'm using that in order to, to say something about the shock. So taking out the prices, taking out the characteristics, what remains as the difference between, say, Athens and the rest of Greece is essentially the shock that came to the, uh, to the two regions. So I, I will do that. Okay. <coughs> Um, 
To start with, however, I want to show you a couple of things about, or a bit more, about the situation before the crisis. What was the, the, the evidence from the microeconometrics, from this kind of methodologies, uh, on, on the workings of the Greek labor market? Was education a factor that affected your employment probability, affected your wages? Uh, obviously, education is an acquired uh, skill, characteristic, so you can, it, has, uh, it is policy relevant. Yeah? People can invest in education. So if, if your gender gives you a lower wage, uh, you cannot do a lot to change your, uh, your situation. But with education, uh, there are policy implications that you, you can work with. Um, so let's see, this is a shocking picture for those that can uh, read it. The first column shows that in 2002, underneath that, of course, there's differences in specification. So if you, if you specify your model differently, you may end up with different coefficients, but it is uh, reproduced across different specifications. In 2002, this is the elasticity of an extra year of education, what it does to your probability of being unemployed. Stars show that there is a significant, statistically significant effect. If the effect is negative, it means that more educated people are less unemployed, less likely to be unemployed. You can see that across the country, um, education didn't do much to reduce your unemployment. Only in two regions, Anatolikim, Macedonia, Thraki, and Crete, uh, education actually made you more likely to be unemployed. So talking about <laughs> the returns to investment in education, it was a bit on my We get, for the country as a whole, we get a negative effect, which is basically because of differences across regions rather than with the uh, regions. Now, compare that to Spain, uh, elasticity of 0.2% in Greece compared to an elasticity of almost 0.7% uh, in Spain. In Spain, education mattered more for your employment chances. Uh, and, and and the same picture uh, later. Returns to, so your wage returns uh, based on education. Again, we can see that the returns to education in Greece have been much lower uh, than, than in, in Spain. And again, there are some regions where, so in Ionio and uh, Notio Egeo, being educated didn't give you a higher salary uh, if we control for your other uh, characteristics. This is very unusual. Uh, across data sets in, in different countries. Uh, so did the Greek economy work well before the crisis? Well, we had a 4% or 3.5% growth rate. Unemployment was declining. But there were some things that they, they didn't seem to, uh, to, you know, they're not in line with the idea of working well. Um, the other thing, so I have many pictures, but another thing to, to note uh, is, so this is sort of the geographical, uh, a picture of, of what I showed you earlier. The other thing to note is, is a very high female penalty. So controlling for everything else, your skills, your marital status, and, and things like that, being female, so like for like, being female gave you more than 50% high probability of being unemployed, 50% relative to the males, yeah? Um, everywhere apart from the Ionian in 2000, Everywhere and everywhere in 2004 and 2008. So again, you know, is the labor market working well? Well, unless there, there are unobservables for women that we cannot sort of take into account, maybe there are, they're more likely to be detached from the labor market, they want to work more locally and, and whatever else. Uh, but to the extent that these things don't matter, 
this 50% is huge. It shows that, the, again, the labor market, you know, hiring is not on the basis of, of, of your tradability, of your characteristics, but it is on the basis of, you know, I'll hire, uh, you know, the traditional breadwinner rather than uh, a woman. Um, again, uh, a number of things. So, uh, I think to note here was that the public, so the public sector had higher wages. I showed you these distributions where women and men were sorted across public and private uh, sector. If we control for kind of everything, you know, if people are married, they have kids, education, how many years they're in the labor market, and things like that, we were still left uh, in 2009 with the public sector offering 8% offering higher wages for males compared to the private sector, and 9.5% higher wages for females, just for the fact of being in the, in the public sector. Same occupation, same firm size, same you know, characteristics, and, and so forth. Um, so, uh, obviously, you know, a distortion if you want uh, there. Another thing I want to, to mention in relation to the table uh, here comparing public and private sector is that also the public sector rewarded education better. So not only they attracted more educated people, but like for like, for one extra year of education, you would get a higher salary, higher payoff in the public sector than the private sector. Again, this is unusual. You would expect that the private sector is more market-oriented than the public sector, stating uh, the obvious. So, some problems uh, there. Um, and here, the part-time penalty, both in the public sector and in the private sector, was very, very large. 64% and 40%. You know, these are very big uh, numbers. So, comparing like with like, your, your wage would be 60% lower if you had a part-time job. Uh, and this is hourly wage, it's not uh, uh, the monthly wage. Uh, so, so again, this is a huge problem about you know, the type of jobs uh, uh, that were uh, available in part-time uh, employment. It wasn't the same thing, but with fewer hours. It was a, you know, a poor quality uh, job. Okay, I, I guess I have to uh, speed up. So let me go then to what happened with the crisis, again from the microeconometrics. Um, so basically what I want to look at is the, the quality of the shock and the size of the shock, if it was the same across places. Uh, and then if we have, you know, this picture that I showed you, that, you know, females were penalized, part-timers were pen penalized, private sector employees were penalized too much, has this changed with the crisis? You know, have we moved on to something which is more uh, market-oriented, if you want? Now, in this table, I'm comparing... The, the, the how different characteristics give you a probability to be unemployed before the crisis and during the crisis or after the crisis. Um, so, for example, the fixed effect increases, which shows that with the crisis we have a more a high probability of unemployment for everybody, irrespective of characteristics. What we see for 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 schooling for education, one extra year of schooling made you let's say 3% less likely to be unemployed before the crisis, and this likelihood increased only marginally by 0.5% uh, with the crisis. So there is an adjustment there, yeah? So the crisis marketizes the economy, so education matters more, but not much. If you split it between Athens and the rest of Greece, you can see that in Athens, the original 3% became now 5.5, almost doubled, so the market in Athens responded 
by sorting people on the basis of education. So they kept the educated workforce and they uh, uh, said the less educated workforce. But if you look at the, at the rest of, the, of, of this, this is not so some remote village somewhere. It's the rest of the country, you know, non Athens. Uh, nothing happened. So your, your probability of being unemployed with an extra year of education was the same before the crisis and after the crisis. The labor market didn't notice there was a crisis. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, again, interesting. Also interesting is the fact that being of a young age gave you a 50% higher probability of being unemployed uh, before the crisis and gives you the same probability statistically also during the crisis. So again, the point of youth unemployment being a, 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 an additional problem in, in the crisis, it doesn't come out in the data. Uh, it is very proportional to the overall increase in, in unemployment. It's not a different problem. It's the same problem of, of, of unemployment. Now, here comes the decomposition analysis, and you perhaps have to believe me what I'm telling you. So I told you there's the component effect, the endowment effect, the characteristics, and the price effect. So this is then the endowment effect, explained, and the price effect. Uh, in Greece, in Athens, and the rest of Greece, based on the previous regression. What these numbers show is that the quality of labor moved in a direction that would have reduced unemployment by 5% during the crisis. So basically, we lost the least employable people, so the quality of labor force went up. However, the, the valuation, the, the the transformation of, um, of characteristics into employment uh, went completely in the other direction, increasing, doubling unemployment in the country. So this is the price effect. And you can see that this is similar in Athens and in the rest of Greece. So in, on that basis, you would say, okay, the economy didn't manage to, to transform characteristics into employment, a universal effect, a shock, uh, you know, from the crisis everywhere in the country. But we can split that into the local effect, what we call here fixed effect, uh, and to the effect of different characteristics. And this is very telling. So you can see that in Greece, the quality of education, uh, so the valuation of education tended to reduce unemployment. So we, we transform more education into employment than before the crisis by 18%, if that means anything. And the fixed effect here tells us that there was a huge so increase in unemployment that was irrespective of these characteristics, uh, you know, more than doubling unemployment, increasing by 127%. The interesting thing is when you compare Athens with the rest of this. In Athens, the crisis was almost twice as high as in Greece as a whole. So the shock to the, to the economy in Athens was much more significant. But also the adjustment in Athens was much bigger. So how employers sort labor, so decide who gets the job on the basis of education, increased so much faster in, in, in Athens than in the rest of the country. Actually, in the rest of the country, it only increased by, you know, very fractionally, even though the shock was half or less than half that uh, in, the, in, in the Athens economy. So, because I sense that I'm, I'm left with very little uh, uh, time. So, if we, if we just take this as, a, as something to draw a conclusion from. What we have is that we have a 
if you want, a horizontal crisis that affected the, the, the whole of the economy, if you look at the aggregate picture. But if you disaggregate that, you see that the, the shock was much bigger in, in the metropolitan areas, with further information in, in the slides that I'm not going to show you. You can see that this happened also to a lesser extent in Thessaloniki. Uh, in the metropolitan areas, the shock was bigger, but the adjustment was also bigger. So, in some respect, the labor market has responded in these places. In the other places of the country, either the shock was not very big, uh, or it was sort of intermediate, but in, in any case, the adjustment was much smaller. In some places, there was no adjustment uh, uh, whatsoever. So the labor market started to function more in the, in the worst hit crisis areas, which were also the metropolitan uh, areas. Um, <coughs> do I have two or three minutes? Okay, so let me select what I'm uh, going to show you. I have many pictures, as I promised. Okay, so this is the so this is another way of looking at the same uh, picture of, of of the extent of the of the crisis. Uh, we're comparing here different areas, so Athens with the rest of Greece, or the north and the south, Ireland and mainland regions, and we decompose between the endowment effect, the labor quality, the valuation, the price effect that I mentioned earlier, and the effective demand, the, the fixed effect that I mentioned earlier. And what this uh, uh, sort of table shows is where the crisis has been uh, uh, sort of more devastating. So this 15.06 here shows the size of the, of the shock to the Athens economy. Uh, and this is in relation to, to the difference between Athens and the rest of the country in total unemployment. So whereas the difference in unemployment is uh, 0.5, uh, the difference in the shock to the economy is 30 times uh, bigger. You can see that the, the, the areas that were more affected were uh, sorry, the non-agricultural regions, the mainland regions, the north, and Athens. These are the big uh, uh, differences where the shock was big. And you, if we have time, we can talk also about the adjustment. A Athens stands out because the adjustment in terms of prices, uh, you can compare it with other figures in this volume, is, is significantly bigger than any other adjustment. So, uh, Athens experienced the biggest shock, but also responded uh, most. Okay, I have many pictures that uh, maybe I can show you the, the, the last thing uh, is the, the, what happened to the public-private differential. So if we take out all the uh, control for all the characteristics and the composition of the workforce in the public and the private sector, despite the wage cuts in the public sector, despite you know, the whole thing that created all the, the political instability in the country, the differential between, so the advantage that the public sector gave you uh, in terms of wages just for being in the public sector, similar workers, like for like, actually increased the advantage in 2010, remained quite stable in 2011, only fell in 2012 significantly, but it remained very positive, uh, and then it bounced back again, um, so going up mainly because the, the private sector continued to, to feel the consequence of the crisis much more strongly than, uh, the, than the public sector. So in 2013, I published a paper with uh, Rebecca using pre-crisis data and calculating the, 
the, the size of the, of the wage cuts in the public sector. And we were arguing that um, basically if, if those measures take effect, they will wipe out most of the, of the advantage that the public sector uh, gives you. It's a good thing that the paper is out. <laughs> haven't been <laughs> proven correct. The, the private sector uh, was really devastated by the crisis and, and the wages uh, went back. So let me uh, sort of summarize now and close it. Um, before the crisis, we have a lot of evidence that says that the, the valuation of characteristics, how the market works, uh, is either unfair or not very much market-oriented, you know, rational uh, in a way. We have evidence of, exploit, uh, of discrimination uh, and of education not playing the role that usually plays in different uh, countries. The shock was very uh, big, but it was asymmetric in space. Also asymmetric was the adjustment to the shock, and the adjustment to the shock happened in the most dynamic uh, areas of the country. Uh, those areas do seem to have a, a functioning labor market, but in many other places you see bizarre things that do not have any any resonance to, to a functioning, to a well-functioning labor market. You even see uh, so the returns to education going going down with, with, with the crisis, which is reverse. Um, so in those areas where we had adjustment, the sorting, this kind of adjustment intensified, it brings more efficiency, but it also brings more vulnerability. So. If you look at it from a labor microeconometric perspective, you say sorting on the basis of education is good because the labor market functions. But if you, if you look at it from a social policy perspective, you see that the, the ones that become unemployed, the ones that get the lower wages, are the least educated. Yeah? And this is a problem because if, the, if, a, if an educated person becomes unemployed, maybe they have other means to, to survive. And they're maybe more mobile or they have other sources of income. Uh, the, the, the fact that the labor market now functions better, at least in the areas where it does, also means that you need to have a welfare state that functions uh, somehow to take care of the people who are priced out of the labor market. Uh, I, I'm afraid that we have very little discussion of that, uh, about that uh, in Greece, and we're still only sort of trying to understand some of the things that I, that I showed you uh, today. So I'll stop here. Thanks for the tolerance with the time. Thank you, Vasily. That's great. Um, we got good 35 minutes. Those of you who don't know, there is no tube strike this evening that appears to be. So we also we didn't have to wait too much about being So uh, we've got we've got a good 35 minutes, um, and so I shall. Throw it out to you. Um, do you have a vision? Do you prefer symbols or do you like groups? No preference. <laughs> no preference. Uh, question time. Right? Yes, it is question time. Can you say who you are? So um, you mentioned twice. I think a very good presentation, by the way. Thank you for that. Uh, you mentioned twice about youth unemployment, that there is no significant difference uh, before and after crisis. Uh, do you know statistically um, the, the amount of immigrants uh, in 2013 compared to 2007 and the variation between youth and, I don't know, uh, family people, like how many people migrated so you can compare? Is, that, is the question clear? Uh, like, not no, exactly. Like, how can we say that, uh, for example, is, uh, 
someone who is 20 years old is more mobile, can go, can take an airplane and go to London and work in London, where someone who is 40 year old with two kids is much more difficult. Mm. So how can we compare the youth unemployment in our days compared to 2008, when we, if we know how many younger people emigrated and left the country? Yeah. How, how can we, how can we be accurate? Uh, on that direction. Okay, the, the, the direct answer is we cannot be accurate because we don't have the, well, the information. Yeah. Because when we say yeah. that the given employment is the same as 2008, and we don't know mm. how many young educated people left the country, yeah. then there is no point to, to mention that. Yes and no. So we cannot be accurate about, about that because we don't actually know. There's no information about how many people left, there's no count of, of them, yeah? Uh, so in that sense, strictly speaking, we cannot be accurate. Now, the, the, the pieces of evidence that I showed you, one is the, the descriptive one, yeah? It just takes the, the number of youth looking for a job mm -hmm. uh, and divides that by the total number of youth looking for a job and working. For jobs in Greece. In Greece, yes. So, so there, it might be that there's a, a, a creaming of, of, of people who, who left, provided that those people who left would be the unemployable. People, because also it could be that the people who left were the, the most killed, maybe. I mean, you know, then you have to start making scenario about, you know, who left and what were the employment chances. The, the second piece of evidence that I showed, which is based on the, the, the unemployment probably the, the, the regression analysis, this compares like for like, yeah, so it controls for different uh, characteristics, so it is less affected by, by the composition effect of, of the people who left unless the people who left are, are, are statistically different in one of the characteristics that I didn't have in the regression, which is very difficult to, to think of what would be that characteristic. So, so you know, because there we control for a number of, of things, yeah, in the regression, age, experience, and things like that. So, so then it brings the sample into really like for like on the basis of what is in the regression. And on that basis, it is not that youth do not have a high probability of unemployment, they have a very high probability of unemployment, 54% higher than, than, than the rest. It is that this probability hasn't increased relative to the rest more. Yeah? So it was 54% more likely, and they remain 55% more likely. So statistically, the, the, the increase is not you know, faster than, than for the rest. But we don't know how many people significantly left the country to, during the last four years. My point is, yeah. is we don't know, I don't know if it's impossible, we don't know. Because in my common sense, without being an expert on the subject, is if I'm 21, 22 years old, sure. without kids, without mortgages, and I've been two years without work, the next step for me is take the risk and go to London to the or bar staff or whatever job, and then stay in Greece. So it's, it's much more, um, it's, it's much easier for someone younger. And if you don't know this data, I don't know how can you, uh, how can you uh, mm. significantly um, present that there's no difference. Uh, I, I think the, the, the second part of the answer covers this, because I'm telling you that, you know, unless the people who left have a particular characteristic you know, they're of die, they're all left-handed, I didn't have any regression, uh, then you're absolutely right, that my results may be misleading. But if we assume that the people who left do not have this kind of particular unobserved characteristic, then the regression result 
is is consistent. Yeah. Now we have also to think that migration, so international migration, is not the only response. So, for example, you could think that well, youth unemployment is now higher, uh, disproportionately higher, because people need to support their families income-wise, so they left education. We also don't know how many university dropouts we have or high school dropouts, whatever. Um, I mean, you know, somewhere there must be the statistics, but the statistical service doesn't have the statistics, the, the numbers. So it could be, you know, that migration understates the actual unemployment problem for, for the youth in Greece, as you as you are suggesting. But it could also be that the the behavior in relation to education for, for young people overstates the unemployment problem. These are not people who are integrated in the labor market. They just came out to look for a job uh, because the, the parents got a, a pay cut. Uh, yeah, so, so, I mean, if you start thinking about that, we just don't know. You know, it, we can only, or at least my perspective, you know, I can only use whatever data is there to, try to, to derive something. But definitely, in the case of, of the unemployment regressions, as I said, unless there is a selection issue which is not observed, then otherwise, the, you know, this kind of migration movement wouldn't have played. Do we, do we have any? Yeah. Um. Uh, thanks for this nice presentation, which has been enjoyed even by uh, not colleagues like me. Uh, I would like to ask you something about the low level of labor uh, mobility between the different regions of Greece during the, 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 the crisis, actually. Could you, we suppose that this has anything to do with the way Greece has been divided into a, a large administrative regions, I'm referring to peripherias, meaning that uh, we would probably could assume um, that basic characteristics of the economies, of their potentials, have not been seriously considered during this planning. So you mean basically that there is migration within yes. peripherias yes. Uh, into places, into very different places? Yes. Yeah, but within... Perhaps, I mean, we have prefectures. The problem is that the, the data are not released at the prefecture level because they're not representative and they, they stop becoming anonymous, so you can identify who is the doctor in Trikala earning uh, you know, less than a hundred pounds a, a year <laughs> or something. Uh, so, uh, so, so this information is not, simply not available. Um, and, and it definitely understates uh, the extent of uh, migration. From another work that I, I did comparing the, the, some years ago, uh, Greece and the UK, for some reason, uh, uh, migration, year-to-year -year migration in the 13 regions of Greece was, I think, six times or something like that lower than in the 12 statistical regions of the UK. Okay, obviously different sizes, all different if you, if you think about the two countries, uh, but six times higher is a lot, uh, lower is a lot. Yeah, so. Uh, so I think even if you were to look at more uh, at the most disaggregate spatial uh, scale, you would still find that mobility is not uh, uh, not acceptably high. Also, the other thing is that in any case, you know, with the 
with the constant measures, mobility has gone down. Okay, so unless people started change their patterns, so in the past they were migrating across the peripherals, uh, and now they started migrating more locally, which I don't see an obvious reason why they would do. Then, then the pattern applies. That's you know, mobility went down in the past. I mean, also theoretically, it makes perfect sense. You know, uh, so mobility goes down when unemployment goes up. Because your employment probabilities go down anyway, so why would you move? Yeah, if there's full employment, then you just even speculatively you would move somewhere and expect that you you get a job, you know, within days. If unemployment is 27% in some places, in 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 uh, Western Macedonia it is 40%. Yeah, total unemployment, not youth unemployment, 70 something percent. Who would move to West Macedonia? <laughs> Even with a job offer, you wouldn't trust the, the job offer to, to go there. You'd stay in your place. <laughs> so yeah. Thank you very much for this presentation. At the risk of posing a very naive question, I want to ask uh, if there is a way to take into account unregistered Because as far as I understand, this is this is something that is it's a prominent feature of the Greek mm -hmm. labor market, mm -hmm. which uh, you know it's difficult to quantify. Uh, but if the number is, if, if it's a substantial phenomenon, then what does this tell us concerning the kind of knowledge production in which you engage? In there's a problem with, uh, yeah, that's a very good question, actually, not at all <laughs> uh, naive. Um, so everything I've presented here comes from, from data from the Labour for Survey, which is individual self-reporting about the circumstances, wages, uh, and so forth. So in general, Labour for Survey data are considered to be quite accurate, mm -hmm. and people tend to report the situation uh, you know, it's not official data where you would hide, you know, you would say, I'm not working because you, you haven't, you're not registered, you haven't declared your income. Uh, so people actually report, and, and so, for example, the work that uh, Matsaganis has done in, uh, in, at uh, Athens University of Business Economics, looking uh, at tax evasion, does exactly that, it compares uh, self-reported data from the budget household, household budget survey, uh, with tax uh, office uh, data. So this is basically what you would use. You take the reliable source of income. Now the problem with that, that said, is that according to the Labour for Survey, I haven't looked at data more recently, but in 2007, only 4% of people were unregistered. Which is extremely low. Uh, you know, and for my very... Uh, my ethnographic experience mm. in very small places, I have observed that uh, while there's, no, I mean, it's for the most part talking about service-based <coughs> economies, mm. like small cafes and tavernas and restaurants, nothing other than producing capital in a yeah. small place, and the vast majority uh, hire young people uh, on. Yes. Informal basis. I agree. I mean, uh, so it is only the owner who is legally yeah, uh, in the, you know, in the shop. <laughs> has to, you know, declare. Yeah. The fact that he's I, I mean, this this is a problem with the, with the, with the survey data. Maybe it's 
the way the question is asked, because I think that the question is not whether you are sort of fully registered for your current employment, but it, it is whether you, you have basically a national insurance number, and everybody would have a national insurance number. Uh, so, so people may be registered, but they don't get ENSIMA. Mm -hmm. yeah? so, uh, so this kind of compromises the two things. Um, on the other hand, you know, a lot of, of uh, economy of uh, registered employment actually is in relation to also to self-employment mm -hmm. and perhaps in some, at least to some extent also to family employment. And these are not including the wage earners anyway. So if you're an unpaid family worker, okay, you wouldn't be insured, but you're also family worker. Um, but you're right, and, and this would be a very interesting thing, you know, if we had the data, uh, a thing to look at in terms of seeing, you know, the adjustment, because we know what happened with hours, we know what happened with wages, but we don't know, and with uh, part-timing, but we don't actually know what happened with moving to irregularity uh, and stuff. That said, looking at flexible work contracts, contracts nothing has happened, uh, really, despite what is in the, in the, in the newspapers. The, the, the changes are very small. So maybe also in illegality as well. Also, sorry, um, we lost a lot of a disproportional amount of employment for migrants, which were highly represented in the uh, unregistered employment group. Uh, so on that effect, statistically, unregistered employment would have gone down, yeah, because the illegal workers were the, the first ones to lose their jobs. Can, can, can I ask about that? Because I think this is, I mean, it's come up it's come up uh, at least twice, and it was something which struck me as we were going along. Yes, um, you're working off the basis of labour force survey data. Um, one has the problem of, it was already raised about sort of external mobility, so we actually don't know, we know sort of, you know, who moved around within the country, but if we're talking anecdotally, I mean, there are stories about all the uh, mobile phone stores in um, Oxford Street being manned by otherwise unemployed graduates. Now, whether that is... But external mobility we aren't actually aware of, and the Labour Force Survey per se doesn't pick that up. Migrant workers, and particularly the people at the sort of bottom of the, uh, of the labour market, doesn't necessarily pick them up because it doesn't necessarily get to the households where these are. So we actually don't quite know what kind of mobility is going on, both in terms of labour market status and whether they're in the country or out of the country. We don't quite know what's going on there. Um, the Labour Force Survey does talk about, I mean, I think it does pick up things like sort of unpaid family workers. Mm -hmm. And it would seem to me that that dimension of... Um, non-standard work is something which could be looked at fairly. You start touching on it when you start touching on the self-employed and some of the things that they are doing might be worth looking at as well. And I'd also have a bit of a question about whether one should be using unemployment in its formal sense as necessarily the thing which one is observing. And one might also be looking at simply non-working within particular kind of groups are within the workforce because if you know, people are not having access to benefits um, and if people uh, therefore don't actually get any incentive to formally become unemployed, we actually get 
perhaps a lot more that is going on that is coming up as non-employment inactivity and that's what we'd expect in a downturn as well so that there seems to be some further dimensions that one could go into here but one has to bear in mind that the data source itself is um, doesn't pick up everybody. I suppose the one thing I would ask there is, I mean, do we, does one actually see changes in population as opposed to changes in simply the number of people who are of a particular labour force status? Because uh, the issue on inactivity and the relation between inactivity and, and unemployment is something that I would like to look at, and uh, with Angelo, one day we <laughs> will do that as well. Um, it is complex also because inactivity went up with the crisis, and, and it's not very clear whether it is people <coughs> who are these people, you know, who, who yeah. became uh, inactive. Is it people who lost faith into the job prospects? Is it new people? Is it, uh, you know, uh, is it a, a cohort thing? You know, as we, as cohorts get into the labor force and the, the 65 year old. Uh, uh, people uh, move out, is that the, the reason? So we haven't looked at that, I, I have no idea. The, the, the labor force survey under, under surveys or mm. under captures, whatever the, the term, um, migrants, but not by much. Uh, mm. I have to admit I don't know much about the, you know, how the, the, you know, the, the methodology, the sampling methodology of the survey, uh, but it is meant to be representative. I, I know that when, when the Home Office in Greece, the Minister of Interior, was giving a, a number of migrants sometime around 2004 or 2002 uh, of 460,000 people, and the best guesstimate for the country was 1 million, the Labour Force Survey was giving 600,000 people. So, uh, okay, not very accurate, but it gives a, a, a picture. I wouldn't worry too much about the, the, the compositional changes. I mean, it, it, you know, you have to think that compositional changes are relative to a population of, well, you know, workforce of 4 million. So you'd have to have quite significant changes in order to, to have, uh, you know, big difference. Also, you can see that, you know, we lost 15% of, of more of employment and years of education, average years of education went up by 0 0.8. Yeah? Uh, because the, 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 the overall population, you know, th these things do not move very fast. Uh, but to some ex extent, obviously, y y y the point is very good. That said, really the focus of, not only the focus of the presentation, but I think where, where the focus should be also in policy terms, and, you know, kind of for what matters, is, is where the labor market works. You know, maybe... Um, you know, some some young people left their flats and went back to live with their parents, and now they're helping with the family business, or they're not helping. You know, but this is this doesn't tell me whether I can apply capitalism in Greece. You know, you know, in order to find the answer for that, I have to look at how employers value education, whether they discriminate based on 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 kind of. You know, non-changeable characteristics, skin, uh, color of the skin, gender, uh, and things like that. This will tell me whether there is an efficient market that actually, you know, sort of hires an input in order to produce 
uh, an output and, and looks at productivity, or whether there's sort of hiring practices that are based on custom, basically. Uh, and in that sense, uh, you know, so this I think justifies or explains the, the focus on, on the functioning of, of the labor market. Also because family work in, in, in Greece and self-employment is in many respects nominal, you know, token uh, employment. It, yeah. it is not. You know, you have people who are self-employed, half of whom you will find in, in the in the cafeteria next to the uh, shop. You know, so so you have a lot of underemployment and unemployment, which is masked under the term self-employment. You know, it's yeah. not full-time yeah. continuous employment. <coughs> it generates an income. It's me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, first of all, thanks for the for the pictures. Uh, it's nice to see the, the red color in northern Greece, given my football convictions. Uh, and I have a lot of geeky questions about the the actual modeling process. Uh, I'm just gonna give it to not one, but basically, how many regions are in the? There are thirteen. Uh, we're splitting out Athens and Thessaloniki, so it's. And how, how flexible are you with respect to the regions and how many could they be so basically splitting up? No, you can't. Yeah, that's the, the, the reason why I'm asking is because um, you, you find that the net, effect of, the net effect of education is different in the two main cities compared to the rest of, of Greece, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think it has to do mainly with the fact that there are different employers, as you more or less said. And I was wondering whether there could be a hierarchical structure to the whole setup and actually uh, look at public sector uh, numbers across regions mm -hmm. to have variation of public sector employees or uh, jobs that used to be there and they're not. And of course, uh, from the uh, small and medium business registry or something like that, I hope or I think there should be something like that, you could have uh, like the number of uh, small and medium businesses mm. across regions. And this would be basically the causal explanation. Why do we see that difference? And this would be the policy recommendation, and this is the reflection. I mean, does it work with more public sector or not? Does it work with, uh, should we invest in uh, small and medium uh, businesses through reducing uh, the tax rate and things like that? Again, thanks for the maps. You're welcome. I have more maps I can share with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, most of the regressions actually control for on the wage returns control also for for public private sector firm size uh, at, the individual yeah? level. at the individual level yes yeah. so yeah. the demand is uh, <coughs> I mean this is the actual employee or uh, unemployed says whether uh, he or she works at what yes. sort of sector uh, but the, the actual jobs that are out there are exogenous to the are, are not part of no, it's uh, no because you control for that. So, I mean, if there's kind of general equilibrium effects that are beyond that go to a different direction, then yes. But otherwise, no. And I don't know. I mean, is other? I don't know. Uh, but on that, we we are trying to do something with Yorgos uh, on. So we took the the fixed the the education over time across the Greek regions, and I. The idea was that this is going to be so obvious, you know, we will find those four or five things that explain the, the geographical variation and the variation of the time in the retention education. And uh, 
it was surprised, you know, things are very, very good. So we get a, a couple of geographical variables to, to, to play a role. So population density uh, seems to matter, accessibility, this kind of, of things. But the things that I had, uh, uh, you know, so the suspicion that, that, that it will matter, most of all unemployment, and we're disagreeing with others, doesn't seem to matter. So I thought that, you know, labor market pressures would have a big thing, uh, role to play with uh, on, on, on the distribution of retention education, and they don't seem to, to play a role. Also, the composition of variables, I don't remember for the fact whether we put the, the proportion of, of uh, small firms uh, as, a, as a variable, but we definitely put the public sector, and it produces something, but it's very weak, and all the compositional things, occupation, sectors, gender, uh, and stuff do very good. Um, but of course, there is, uh, I mean, you know, more to be explained there. have to look <laughs> again at the, uh, at the data, but, but we definitely know the answer to that. I mean, the data is that. Uh, so women have been affected in a, in a number of, of ways. You're right that, you know, to some extent, construction and specific sectors, you know, uh, have been affected, uh, more male jobs have been affected uh, more. But also, strangely enough, although part-time employment increased, female part-time employment didn't sort of move up. So there's definitely displacement there. So males displacing females in the kind of part-time so sector. Um, also, there's a lot of, not a lot, but there's an amount of female employment uh, which has also gone down. So the equivalent of construction is personal services. Yeah, so you may think twice whether you're going to, you know, uh, uh, bring the helper to, to clean your house every Saturday or, or whatever uh, now with the crisis. So there's a lot of, of <coughs> underemployment uh, there. Uh, I think the, the, the rise in education levels of female employment is, yeah, is greater for females than for, for males. So that means that disproportionately educated females do better compared to educated males. Okay? Comparing educated with non-educated females, they do better than males. I can see, I know there are at least two people, I can see there's you and there's you at the back. And so I've got three. Okay, we've got about ten minutes, so can we keep the reasonably short? I'll go from the back 
to the middle to the front. <laughs> okay, one question is, uh, first of all, do you control from the union presence in public uh, sector differential? Because um, I guess there is a difference there with how much they represent it. The second is that it doesn't seem so unnatural to me that education doesn't play so big a role in uh, the hinterland, in a way, of Greece. That uh, I would expect that, because there is a tendency in economic geography to say that, you know, the economists tend to cluster in specific places, and, uh, you know, the service sector and the industry sector tends to concentrate in specific places, so maybe that's an explanation of why this is happening. Yeah. Uh, so that we take all questions. And this one of those is closely related. Um, um, it's mostly closely related yeah, okay, to the, yeah, okay, some yeah, of the previous yeah. questions. Um, we talked about immigration. I just, I was just wondering whether, um, in some sense, have you taken in consideration that maybe the relocation of companies outside of Greece? So maybe that uh, affects the supply of um, labor in a way. So I'm, um, I'm aware that there are a number of foreign direct investments in the regions around Greece, in the countries around Greece. So maybe that increased um, during the crisis and... Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm, going to, I'm now going to abuse this by actually polluting all of them, so I'm going to allow you to... Just look so technical about this issue. Why didn't we use the labor process how is the public sector defined by the sector? Does it include only the core public sector or it also includes the wider public sector? Mm. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, let me start uh, backwards. So, uh, in, in this in the analysis that I showed you, the public sector is all public sector, so it includes the, the broader public sector and utilities and, and, and things like that. I have done something else with Rebecca Christopoulou uh, that we haven't pursued uh, since, but we looked at the, the, the public sector premium across different types of public sector, so the core, uh, central governments, local governments, uh, utilities, pub banks, and public enterprise. And, uh, Firms, uh, and there were there were big differences, and obviously that caused utilities to doubt. Yeah, the, the, they were from a different world, so <laughs> altogether. Um, so this is the average, and and, and definitely uh, local governments is you know I'm not doing justice to local governments because they have much lower premium than the rest of the public uh, sector, but you know, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so let me connect that to the to the role of unions. Sorry, yeah. Just before you, um, are you then able to connect that to your first point about the evaluation of characteristics, the rational um, curve within mm. particular parts of the public sector? Uh, yes. Okay. So that's also something um, that we've looked at uh, separately. Uh, yes. Like for like, similar. I mean, you know, a cleaner in. As we know, a cleaner of the Ministry of Finance was getting one and a half times higher than uh, a cleaner of the Ministry of Development, for whatever uh, underlying reason. Uh, but also, a cleaner in in, in uh, utility was getting even more, and a cleaner in in uh, local government would get half of that. So, so you know, and this is not 
a market criterion for rewarding uh, specific characteristics or work tasks. Um, yeah, but on your point about what might be hidden beyond the valuation of characteristics, mm. then politics is scaling here. Mm. Yes, but this doesn't explain the private sector. Yeah, so, so the fact that the private sector has, uh, you know, in the private sector, like for like, a part-time job would give you 40% less on an, on an hourly basis than, than, the, uh, than a full-time job. This is not uh, uh, explained by, you know, by the political uh, uh, dimension. Um, Yes, okay, so let me uh, ask to, to the other. So we don't actually have information on unions, uh, oh. and we know that, you know, we, we, kind of, we know which sectors are unionized. Uh, and obviously, even if you're unionized in the private sector, it doesn't help you a lot <laughs> uh, nowadays, especially. Uh, so, so obviously, a big part of the public sector premium would be related to unions, although to link to, to the comment that, that Kevin made, I, I don't think you need unions in the public sector to, give, to, to account for the premium. So the, the political class was inclined to offer the premium anyway, almost irrespectively. I don't think the uh, you know, sort of floor cleaners in the Ministry of Finance were more unionized or had stronger union than anywhere else. It was the, you know, the political attitude and how you, uh, different ministers, if you want, had access to, to, to the budget. Um, so, of course, unions matter, but I don't think it's the whole of the story, and in any case, the public premium uh, remains. Uh, you're absolutely right that the, the... Okay, so returns to education in the periphery are low, and in a way it makes sense because vibrant demand, high-quality, uh, sort of, uh, high-skilled employment is concentrated in the, uh, in the main urban areas. Uh, although this doesn't necessarily... Follow. So, so you would think that the employment probabilities may, may be less uh, affected. So, you know, if, if I have a, a, a PhD in nuclear physics and I am in a, in a remote village somewhere in Epirus, maybe I will be unemployed, you know. Uh, so this makes sense. But once employed, why I would not get a higher salary compared to the other guy, it is not very clear. Yeah, but then this shows that not only that you don't have the skill com composition, uh, you know, that, that is required, but also you don't have the sorting mechanisms. You know, either you employ a nuclear physicist to, I don't know, to, uh, you know, prepare a kebab or, or, or something, uh, for no reason, or the nuclear physicist is better in preparing kebabs than the other guy, but you still don't pay them more for the higher productivity. I mean... What I'm getting to is, is that there must be something wrong in either of the two uh, scenario. If then you add, why is the nuclear physicist not moving to Athens where we have all these nuclear power plants? <laughs> but, you know, why is, then, why is mobility then uh, low? So, so yes, you would expect that you know, a less vibrant labor market would be less rewarding in the sense of, of returns, uh, but not by much, and not if you want also permanently. You know, you would expect then that other things would come in in migration, mobility, uh, that we don't see. Uh, but also irrespective of that, you know, the fact of the matter is that you have a part of the economy, a very small part, Athens and perhaps a bit Thessaloniki and 
basically the, the touristic islands in the Aegean where something is happening, there is some demand and, and some adjustment, and the rest of the country is as if, you know, to, to, I'm exaggerating, but as if capitalism never arrived you know, in, the, uh, in the country. Um, so let me quickly go to a couple of other points. The location of businesses, this had a devastating effect definitely in northern Greece, uh, but more so in the 90s and, and early uh, 2000s. I have this unanswered question of whether investment levels in Greece fell in the sectors that became out, outward uh, FDI, but I, as far as I know, nobody has actually looked uh, uh, at, at this question, but it didn't happen with the crisis, so I don't think it was a significant thing uh, in the crisis. And labor costs, we don't have labor costs. There, there's no uh, information of la on labor costs, so it's wages, because it's individual level. So the, the, the worker response, not the employers. Right? Now, you, a very quick one, because we are running. Uh, first, I wanted to ask you something technical. I am from a completely different discipline, but I enjoyed the talk, nevertheless. But I want to ask you if the household budget surveys sample households, why don't they have data on who has gone abroad to work? Because parents of young people who are abroad are usually there, and you may sample their household. That's one question. And the second point I want to make, I think Logically, the people who go out of Greece to work, especially educated ones, differ very much in profile compared to the people who stay in Greece, exactly because the markets work better in other countries. So they make better, they make selections. I think so. I mean, maybe one should look into that. Mm. Yes, uh, I, I fully agree. <laughs> I, I, I don't actually know, well, I'm not using the household budget survey. Uh, I'm using the level of survey, which is a different survey, and, 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 and definitely doesn't contain information about members not in the household. From what I know, there's no information also in the household budget survey on that. Maybe there is. Uh, I don't know. But, but also, I haven't heard any, any kind of source mentioning a number in relation to, to migration. I think also, you know, because with the crisis, in some places, more educated people are more likely to get a, a, a job in relative terms. Uh, everybody's affected by unemployment, but less so if you're more educated. Uh, I mean, anecdotally, the people I know in London who came from Greece, they're all, you know, uh, middle class people with uh, good education who came to sell honey and you know, Greek cereals or, or, or something in, in Boro market. Yeah? Uh, so, so yes, they, they would, they, the kind of the, the talents from Greece that, that, that came uh, over. Uh, but I also know a few people who uh, who just, you know, sort of packed a, a rucksack and, you know, uh, jumped on a, on a Ryanair flight and they came over uh, looking for a job. So I'm not quite sure what, you know, really is the proportion of the, of the really unemployable versus the, the talented, if you want, or the educated uh, that, that come out. Also, it may depend by country uh, a lot. So, so definitely we don't have a lot of families, so the 45-year-olds 40, uh, coming to the UK, but we do have more families going to Australia than 20-year-olds uh, from, from Greece. So there, there may be this kind of, of selection. Uh, I just don't know the numbers. So. Perhaps I mean we can also, if we migrate over the road to the George the Fourth, discuss that. That was wonderful. Thank you very much, Vasilis. I mean.
part of the reason why this is a good place to be at. Um, <laughs> just, just one thing. I think, and there were a lot of questions which were actually raised about you know, these people who possibly we weren't catching and we possibly weren't seeing. I think there is a policy implication. And those of you who look at uh, the discussion about forward guidance in this country and the way in which and it's not just Mark Carney and uh, the Bank of England in this country, but also the Fed in America, I mean, who set unemployment as something which, that's measured unemployment as something which they're basing their policy around, then they find that that is moving in a certain direction, they suddenly start wondering, well, actually, is this unemployment measuring something, or are there actually a lot of discouraged workers who might be coming back? And I think if we are following up the policy implications of this, there probably is, you know, sort of an argument to try and spread this out into some people whom we can less obviously see to actually try and learn a bit more about that. But this, that's given us lots of food for thought. So thank you very much. Don't forget, two weeks' time, and we're off to Kiosk.